Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. And the idea of girls being taken, you know, it was just, it was horrifying. And so the more I read about them, the more I realized it wasn't just these 276 girls. These girls were a fraction of the girls they already had as hostages in the forest. And then the more I read, you know, I read that girls had actually been able to escape. The abduction of the Chibok girls in 2015 captured the world's attention. It shone a spotlight on Boko Haram, a terrorist group in Nigeria that's become known for kidnapping young women. The event sparked international outrage, resulting in a campaign known as Bring Back Our Girls. Michelle Obama even amplified the cause. Like millions of people across the globe, my husband and I are outraged and heartbroken over the kidnapping of more than 200 Nigerian girls from their school dormitory in the middle of the night. While many of the girls were rescued, some remain in the forest with Boko Haram to this day. But for the ones that got away, they faced an entirely different challenge altogether. And those who've escaped were being shunned by their families and their communities because they're now seen as wives of Boko Haram, tainted indoctrinated. Um, And so I was really interested in sort of their, how they recover from that trauma. That's Melissa Fung, the director of the TVO original documentary, Captive. In her film, she follows three young women who have escaped their captors and the different ways organizations are trying to help them recover. We sit in on group counseling sessions where other women talk about their trauma. And we also hear from militia groups that are fighting back against Boko Haram, often with deadly results. It's a harrowing watch, but an important one that falls up on the global attention Boko Haram brought upon themselves in 2015. So with that, a warning that some of what you hear throughout the course of this interview includes discussions about sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Stay with us. Melissa Funk, thank you so much for joining me on On Docs today. Thanks for having me, Colin. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, your doc is looking at female survivors of Boko Haram, and I guess we should just find out what is Boko Haram first. Boko Haram is a terrorist group that operates in northeastern Nigeria. Its title, Boko Haram, means Western education is forbidden. Haram is forbidden in Hausa, and Boko means Western education. And sort of that's like the literal translation, but the group itself says it's just, it's more general than just education. It's Western society, really, that it's opposed to and all that entails. So it's really um, a fundamentalist, Salafist form um, of of Islam that they uh, propagate. And, you know, they've turned to violence to sort of enforce their idea of Sharia law and as a result, um, you see their activities. They, you know, they do, don't believe in schools. They don't believe that 
girls should go to school. Um, they targeting things like everything from Christian churches to other Muslims who they don't believe share the same fundamentalist beliefs they do. Um, so they're really, they've been sort of running um, a terrorist operation in Nigeria since the early 2000s with the rise of their founder, uh, Muhammad Yusuf. Do you know why they turn to uh, abducting young girls? There are a few reasons for this. So the main event that drew the world's attention to Boko Haram, if you remember, was the Chibok girls kidnapping in um, 2014, where they went into the village of Chibok and took 276 girls with them into the forest as their hostages. There's some argument, uh, some debate among Nigerian journalists and scholars, whether that was a planned attack, whether they did plan to, you know, kidnap all those girls, or whether it was a botched robbery attempt. They were, you know, raiding the school stores, looking for food, looking for an engine, and realized that they had these girls that they didn't know what to do with. And and in the end, they said, let's take them to our leader, Shakao, and and he'll know what to do with them. And so that's what ended up that's how they ended up in the forest, um, kidnapped. So whether, you know, it, it's whether the kidnapping of girls is um, a result of them overrunning villages and trying to rob people for food, for equipment, for weapons, um, or whether, you know, that's actually a part of what they do, we're not sure. Um, if it's if it's something they intend to do or if it just kind of is a result of the other crimes they're trying to commit. Hmm. So I guess, you know, this I remember this incident or this case and it was horrifying. And I remember Michelle Obama was very outspoken about uh, there was the bring back your girls campaign. So, I mean, for you, though, what was kind of what sparked an interest in you? Why did you want to, I guess, make a film about these girl, young girls specifically? I like everybody, uh, came to know Boko Haram through this incident. You know, the idea of 276 girls kidnapped is so horrific to me. And, you know, my own experience as a captive, you know, the word kidnap is a trigger for me. And so I kind of stop when I hear that somebody's been taken, whether it's an aid worker or a journalist or a contractor in, in some of these places. So, and the idea of girls being taken hostages and the headlines, you know, going to be used as sex slaves by the terrorists. Uh, You know, it was just, it was horrifying. And so the more I read about them, the more I realized it wasn't just these 276 girls. These girls were a fraction of the girls they already had as hostages in the forest. And then the more I read, I, you know, I read that girls had actually been able to escape. And those who've escaped were being shunned by their families and their communities because they're now seen as wives of Boko Haram, tainted, indoctrinated. Um, and so I was really interested in sort of their, how they recover from that trauma and how how they try to, you know, reclaim their lives, their pre-Boko Haram interrupted lives. And so that's what I was really trying to get at when I started looking at doing a story about this. 
There are three young women you prominently feature in the doc. Can you just tell us a bit about them? So the first one is Zara. And Zara is, she was the most promising student out of the three girls when she was kidnapped. Uh, she was doing very well in school. Her family was supporting her. Um, her. She had a brother-in-law who said, if you finish high school, I will send you anywhere in the world you want to go for university. I just believe in you that much. Um, and she, that, of course, didn't end up happening because she got pregnant as a result of being married off to a Boko Haram fighter during her captivity. And her struggle now is to finish school and to raise this child, um, this daughter, Aisha. And so she's, I think, out of the three girls, her personality is the strongest. Um, and I, when I first met her, thought, you know, out of the three, she would be the one to finish school in the end. The second girl, Asmao, was only 12 years old when she was abducted and married off to a fighter. And she was in a village that was overrun. She was taken with her whole family, her mom, Hawa, who's also in the film, a sister, her father, two brothers. Never saw her father again, and her sister's still in the forest, uh, and she's struggling. So she and her mom have now you know, moved to a community where they feel that they're going to be safe. Um, she's trying to go back to school, but... She's just fallen behind so much. Um, so we're, we're not sure how her story's going to end yet, Colin. Gambo is the angriest of them, and she's out for revenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and she's beautiful. When I first met her, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, she should be on the cover of Vogue. She is that beautiful. Uh, but she's the angriest, and she's the one who just, you know, she's about revenge. Um, and I don't know where her story will end up either. That's the, that's, you know, the, this film is several years of their lives, right? But they are still in the process of reclaiming those lives. In the film, you talk about your hope not to re-traumatize them. How did you kind of walk that fine line? For me, it was just not wanting to go at, you know, not wanting to ask outright the toughest questions. I wanted to let them tell me what they were comfortable telling me. Right. And so that first trip, really, you know, one word answers, you know, were you scared? Yes. You know, how do you feel now? I'm OK. You know, it, it was really just to draw them out was it took a few days. Um, and I really didn't want to, to to sort of make them relive the horror of what they'd been through. By telling it to a stranger, because, you know, I've been there too, Colin, you right. know, I I know what that feels like. And I, I don't, you know, I've had people ask me, you know, other reporters what it was like. And it's very hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I come from that knowledge that it is very hard to talk about. Were you able to share that experience with them, though, when you talk to them as a way of, I guess, I guess getting to trust, to trust you? That's the, one of the first things we did was, you know, that... Here is Melissa. She, uh, she's been through something similar to what you've been through. And it just really, they opened up a lot more than I think they would have if I was just another journalist trying to, you know, help them tell their stories. They really felt like I could understand. 
you know, they call me auntie, which makes me feel really old. But, <laughs> but, um, but I think that the fact that they know that I had been through something similar really helped them. Another person you interview in the film is uh, Aisha, the hunter. Can you talk a bit about what she, what she, who she is and what she's about? So she's um, the leader of a hunting group. Um, you know, the a civilian joint task force that the Nigerian government set up to help them hunt down Boko Haram. And, you know, the task force itself is a little controversial because they have been, you know, Human Rights Watch has accused some of the hunting groups of extrajudicial killings, of assassinations, of, you know, uh, but, but Aisha... Um, who is the only woman to lead one of these groups, um, is she hates Boko Haram. She is just dead set against them and is determined to bring them to justice. Not to, you know, not her own form of justice, but, you know, she will go and arrest, make a citizen's arrest, hand them over to the military and rescue whatever girls she can. Um, and she's, you know, she feels like this is sort of her calling. Hmm. But she's not given it. She's not like they're not sanctioned by the government. Like they're not like uh, working for the government, are they? They are. Oh, they the, are. The government. Yeah. The government point form this civilian joint task force. Right. And that, you know, they were calling on these hunting groups like Aisha's to help them root out Boko Haram, help them go into the forest um, look for Boko Haram, seize their weapons. Um, and so, I mean, it, it, it's, it spawned a lot of controversy because, of course, not every hunting group is going to, you know, obey the rules of war. Um, but, um, you know, there's no doubt that I think at least Aisha's group has helped um, re rescue a lot of women and, and confiscate a lot of weapons. Would you consider that you're hunting Boko Haram? <laughs> but she's not actually she's not a former victim of them of Boko Haram is she no she's not she's just a she's just a hunter who happens to be a woman you know the youngest of 10 kids in her family her father was a hunter and she's the only one who followed in his footsteps what about Neem uh, this was a, a group founded by uh, Fatima Akilu what do they do they are really trying to help the victims of the Boko Haram insurgency. And that includes rehabilitating former Boko Haram fighters. That's a part of their operations we didn't get to see. But, you know, her, Fatima's real philosophy is that she needs to bring psychological help to trauma victims, right? Which is quite ironically a Western concept. There was a lot of focus on humanitarian needs, quite rightly, food, shelter, nutrition, health, but nobody was talking or thinking about mental health. Nobody was really accessing what they had been through. And so they were not able to build the resilience they needed to be able to get on with their life. She really believes in, you know, this kind of, therapy and and it does work you can you go to that school that she has for these former captives 
um, and and you talk to the teachers, you talk to the girls, and they really come out of their shells a little bit and are able. The fact that they're able to talk about it and offer advice to the girls, you know, I I met. It's just been, it's. I think it's a testament to, you know, the commitment that Fatima and her organization and her counselors have really, you know, made to, to, to help these girls overcome their trauma. Yeah, actually, those are the scenes I think that are the most moving to me is just watching them describe their experiences. And I guess, you know, it obviously provokes a, an emotion from the, the girls who are sitting there just you know, were there any issues around filming that? Like, how did you get all that footage? Um, they they welcomed us in. All the girls, we had permission from their families to film this. Um, the girls who were already at the school obviously had, you know, made great progress in terms of their healing. And so, you know, they were happy to let us film. Our Our girls, you know, we've had, permission from their families from the beginning. And so it was, the session took place, of course, you know, in a language that I didn't understand at the time. And we just rolled on it because we knew there was something happening. Like you could feel the energy and the emotion in the room at the time. And so we just, you know, and then I, I, uh, later on, Laraba, the counselor, uh, took me aside and just kind of told me what some of the girls had said. And um, I, you know, went into Lerba's office and I had a cry. Mm-hmm. Did, did the victims of Boko Haram get any support from the government? Does this group name, do they get any funding from them? They get a little bit of funding now, but it was very hard for them. The government really paid a lot of attention to rescuing the Chibok girls, if you remember. The Chibok girls, they, you know, I think there's still maybe 111, 110 in captivity. And the government managed to rescue sort of half of them and have them in schools um, at the American University, in Yola, and really, uh, we've seen other films made about the Chibok girls and, you know, their government-sponsored rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. But there are so many other girls who don't get that kind of help, um, who don't, who just don't get help. Uh, you know, you see it. My three girls, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody's really helping them. And I, you know, I mean, I think the government has a lot to deal with in terms of tamping down the insurgency and 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 trying to, you know, they've said that they're not negotiating with Boko Haram, but they really they've. They need to, they've got enough issues, just put it that way, that they can't, they, all these thousands of other girls who happen to have been captives and now escaped, it, they just fall through the cracks, you know, it, they just fall through the cracks. Well, you know, you, you interview a Boko Haram commander and, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, another like one of those kind of intense scenes because uh you know you have all these security uh with you there's all these precautions you have to take i could just talk i guess a little bit about what what went into i guess setting up that meeting and 
that was through um, Mama Boko Haram, who I think you meet earlier on in the film. And she's an interesting character. She's somebody who, you know, says she knew a lot of these fighters when they were just young boys, you know. And Boko Haram in the, you know, early 2000s when it formed, the northeast part of Nigeria was very poor. The education system was falling apart. So you had these armed gangs of boys hanging out. And, you know, Mama Boko Haram says at the time she was feeding a lot of them and she was, you know, taking care of them until she kind of lost them to Muhammad Yusuf the leader of Boko Haram. And she said Yusuf was just a charismatic preacher who gave these boys, you know, money, wives, opportunities, a community that they didn't have. And so she says she's, you know, kept in touch with some of them after they'd left to, to join Boko Haram. And now she's trying to talk them into surrendering. And that's how we got access to this man we call Abba, um, who claims he wants to, you know, lay down his arms and leave Boko Haram. He even acknowledges to you that, you know, that I guess kidnapping women is wrong, but doesn't seem to want to take responsibility for it. It's a weird contradiction. I wonder what you thought of him. I was really angry because I wanted him to show some remorse. You know, I mean, he was halfway there saying, yeah, I know it's wrong. It's not good. Uh, but I, you know, but he wasn't sorry for it. He didn't apologize. He refused to accept repercussions, you know? Um, and so he was really, he was a frustrating character for me. I couldn't really, I was angry after I talked to him because I just realized, you know, it's, it's this ideology and how do you fight against that? Uh, you know, I don't know. I want to ask you about Boko Haram and its treatment of women and girls. Girls have been tortured, they've been married off at a very young age, they've been raped. What do you say to all of those young girls that are suffering trauma because of what Boko Haram's done? It's not good. It's not good. Mm. You accept that? Do you think he was, I kind of wondered if, if maybe he had also experienced trauma. I mean, I think he's mentioned that he was kidnapped uh, when he was younger, right? He said he was forced into doing this because yeah. when his village was overrun, you know, and that's what Boko Haram had, had done. They would overrun villages. They would either take the men and recruit them to be members or just slaughter them. So, you know, basically he said, I didn't have a choice, right? I had to join them because they would have killed me otherwise. Um, so in a way, you know, he's a victim too. And I think those are some of the people that Neem and Dr. Fatima have been trying to help. And there have been many cases of, you know, there are many programs in place now to sort of rehabilitate former fighters, government-sponsored uh, or NGO-sponsored. Hmm. Um, I wonder if you could talk just a bit about, you know, what you, I guess, learned from your meeting with Gambo and Zara and Esmal, um, what they taught you, and I guess, you know, how they're doing today, if you can speak to any of that. 
Today they are. We are in limbo with them. <laughs> so the film ends, and I say goodbye to them. But you know, it's not goodbye. Of course,、um, we get them. Kabir, who is the amazing local journalist, who you know, sort of guided me through all this and was my translator and fixer and producer, and、uh, he, he and I managed to find a boarding school for the girls、uh, to go to, and unfortunately, their grades weren't good enough to stay there. So Kabir. Took them down to Kano, found a day school for them, and we got them a tutor、um, to get their grades up. And now we're trying to, you know, now their grades are better, but still not good enough to go back to the original boarding school. So poor Kabir is, you know, in the middle of trying to find a boarding school that will take them. So that's where they're at. And I think what I learned from that is that it just. You know, it takes time, and it's okay to to not be okay. It's okay to, you know, to feel sad, to 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 be scared. That trauma, just as Fatima says, just it takes its own time. It becomes, it's a part of you. Yeah, I think you mentioned in the film, it's it's kind of a, a journey, and I guess there are going to be, it's gonna, there's going to be、uh, times when you, I guess, fall off the journey and then get back on it, right? Yeah, yeah. Going to be dark days, and you know, then and, and there, there are good days, but it's always going to be a part of you. And it's you know, I think it's all it's taught us all something that it's that there's a community, and there are people out there who understand. You mentioned earlier, you know, when you when you heard、uh, what was said in the group therapy sessions that you had to cry, and I just I have to ask, how are you today? How are you feeling? You know, none of this is easy for me.、Uh, Colin, because it's still hard for me to talk about what happened. You know, I wrote a book about it,、um, but but it's talking about it. Just it so- comes from somewhere very deep down, and it still hurts a little. So it's I, I'm you know I, I'm I'm okay,、um, but I admit that there are times when I'm not. Well, I have to thank you so much for talking to me today. I thought the film was really wonderful, and、uh, I hope everyone gets to see it. It's 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 a really emotional and very impactful film. So, thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you, Colin. And that's the podcast. If you like what you heard, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about us. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew Amara, senior producer Katie O'Connor. Our production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hallowell, and executive producer Laurie Few. We'll catch you at the next screening. <laughs>